This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. I'm very disappointed. Uh, obviously, I'm very disappointed and frankly surprised. I'm told that there was a private firm that was hired to look at the various cities that were bidding and make a determination. But I don't know anybody in Calgary who this firm actually contacted. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. 403-974-TALK is our number. Now, that is uh, Mayor Nenshi yesterday reacting to word that the proposed new Canada Infrastructure Bank is going to be headquartered in Toronto. Nenshi had been lobbying for that bank to be headquartered here. Obviously, look for him politically. He's facing a re-election later this year. Uh, That would be a huge coup. I think even beyond that, I don't think Calgarians like being snubbed, or at least the perception that we're being snubbed by Ottawa, or that Toronto's being favored uh, over Calgary. Uh, But yes, the Liberals have decided this bank is going to be headquartered in Toronto. Apparently Montreal had also been lobbying hard to get it located there. Uh, But maybe there's a bigger question here. What what exactly is this infrastructure bank? And why do we need it, regardless of where it's going to be headquartered? Now, the idea here is to take some $35 billion in government funding to try to entice some private investment. And this would be in things like uh, highways, public transit, green technology. About $15 billion is going to be in cash, another $20 billion. That's going to be uh, repayable loans, maybe even equity stakes. So the liberals are saying that this is not going to affect their bottom line. And maybe the hope is that uh, you can leverage more funding out of this. So, in terms then of whether this is needed, what kind of an impact this is going to make, interesting piece today in the National Post and other post media newspapers on kind of the pros and cons of this idea. Uh, Andrew Coyne is a national columnist for Post Media. It's uh, his topic today here. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Rob. All right. Well, your understanding of how this is going to work and your thoughts on whether the idea has some merit. Well, those are two different questions. Uh, the, the broad idea um, of, of involving private capital in the financing of particular infrastructure projects and of charging users for those projects uh, to use them and therefore developing a revenue stream that you can then compensate the private capital with, um, I'm all in favor of that idea. I think that makes a lot of sense for, for several reasons that we can get into. Um, the specific way in which the liberals are implementing it has a lot of questions surrounding it. Uh, we're we're going to have to see how it evolves over time, but um, there's a lot of questions both about whether um, there's too much politics involved in this and or that there is this is all being done too much to the designs of uh, particular private interests or quasi-private interests. Uh, and the worst possible combination is we might have both of those. So there's, there's, there's the large questions of principle, and then there's the particulars of the design of this of this particular um, model of it. Right, but the, the, the broader concept then of of government sort of acting as the the bank, providing this this funding, providing it in terms of loan, then to to get some private investment in. Uh, if if something needs to be built, if there's some money to be made, a revenue stream off of user fees or tolls. Uh, is that kind of is that a win-win? Well, it, it, halfway. I, I, I'm very keen on seeing private capital involved in this for for a couple of reasons. One is, if you're trying to build things, if if you've got a scarce number of tax dollars to to spend on things, it makes sense to reserve tax dollars for the things that can only be paid for through taxes. Things like the police, for example. If you can finance something another way, 
that's probably too good because that means you're not using up those scarce dollars on things that could be paid for in another way. So it's good from that standpoint. It's good from the standpoint of when you're charging users as a way of financing it, then you've got a kind of a test of the demand for this. Is this a road that we actually need and want and are going to use, or is it just being built through somebody's riding for, for political reasons? So it, it, it provides that kind of market test. And then the third thing, of course, for charging users is people tend to use resources more carefully, more sparingly when they're paying for them. It's one of the arguments for road tools is, you know, you would have uh, less congestion on the roads if people were actually having to think, well, wait a minute, do I really need to use the car today, or could I, could I, could I go with that? So for all those reasons, that model works. Where it gets tricky, and the beginning of the problems for this, in my opinion, is that the liberals have designed it, as you mentioned, with this dollop of public funding involved, with $35 billion of public funding, um, perhaps, as you say, to try and, and uh, sweeten the deal, lure private capital in. Um, anytime you start mixing public and private money, I get nervous because, uh, I mean, it's better, I suppose, than, than it being all public money. Uh, but there's real potential there for, uh, as we've seen sometimes in the past with public-private partnerships, where it winds up being, uh, you know, public risk for private profit. So I would have preferred, uh, maybe just from a purist standpoint, that they left the, the, the public money out of it. But as I say, that's also, I think, the beginning of some of the concerns other people have about, uh, and I have as well, about whether there's uh, some sort of unseemly uh, cross-pollinization of the two worlds that, that that's uh, pointing to. Yeah. In terms, though, then, of, of the appetite, the political appetite for allowing tolls and, and user fees, et cetera, I mean, look, people people don't like paying for things, uh, and we've seen this has come up, you know, where, where you are uh, more recently, and there's been a real pushback against it. But does it suggest, yeah. though, that governments are more willing now to, to entertain this? It seems like we're heading more to that. Now, whether they're doing that because they've, they've read, you know, policy wonks like me saying it's a good idea or whether it's just because they're short up for funds, uh, it's an interesting question. You're absolutely right that it's been regarded as being politically, uh, you know, third rail type of thing. Anything that people are used to getting for quote unquote for free, uh, they can come up with six arguments in 30 seconds as to why they should never have to pay for it. So when you start talking about road tolls, for example, people will, suddenly become very concerned about are the poor going to be able to drive, et cetera, which would be a very good argument not for charging people for gas or, or tires or cars, you know, or parking. Um, you know, the, 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 it, as a general rule, that's how our economy works is we price things because that way people, as I say, will use them carefully. And if we're worried about things like uh, whether people at the bottom of the heap can afford it, then we give them money. It's a much more sensible way of addressing things. We don't, we don't give food away for free, which is pretty necessary. Uh, we charge people for it, but we give them money, the money with which to pay for it. So it's interesting that we're, we do seem to be entering this age where user pay seems to be uh, more, uh, people are more willing to, to approach it politically, but you can see uh, how it can be a real political hot potato. Well, and I guess a lot of that's going to come down to who's running this bank and who's making the decisions, yeah. right? Exactly. And so there's been two seemingly opposed concerns. One is that when they started revealing the terms of how this thing was going to be structured, um, it, it, it didn't look like it was going to be absolutely isolated from interference. So, for example, uh, Cabinet can dismiss uh, the members of the board of directors of, of, this, uh, of this Crown Corporation, which they can't, for example, the Canada Pension Plan, which really is insulated from political interference. So, yeah. Were blown, but there's there was a lot of eyebrows raised at the first that that, that this did not seem to be a, quite as insulated from political interference as one would have preferred because the the point of this thing is to get it out of politics and, and make, focus it more on real investment criteria. 
But secondly, and laterally, there's been more concern expressed about the degree to which um, private and quasi-private interests, so particularly BlackRock Investments, the world's largest asset manager, and the Quebec's uh, Caisse de Depot, you've got the, the head of the Caisse and you've got the uh, senior executive at BlackRock, uh, Mark Wiseman, formerly the head of the, of the Canada Pension Plan, were very intimately involved in the, the recommendations that this thing be set up. They were part of the uh, Advisory Council on Economic Growth that the Liberals get set up after they were elected to, to give them an economic policy. Um, and they are two um, organizations, uh, whether or not the individuals would profit, but two organizations that would stand to be, uh, might well be wanting to do business with this new infrastructure bank. So that's kind of odd. Uh, and you've had BlackRock officials involved, as, as the Globe Mail reported, uh, in uh, formulating the presentation that the Minister of Infrastructure made to some of BlackRock's uh, uh, well-heeled institutional clients to, to pitch them on this thing. So the whole thing just looks a little too cozy. Uh, and, and there's been, I think, some legitimate questions about conflict of interest that have been raised around it. Yeah. Do, do you get the sense, Andrew, that the goal of this is to address a perceived infrastructure deficit in Canada, and this expedites that? Or is this back to, to the liberal argument about about infrastructure as, as stimulus? Is this meant to give a, a jolt to the economy? I think, in a way, it's a retreat from the stimulus argument. When they ran during the last election, the whole conversation around infrastructure was we're going to borrow a lot of money on the on the public dime, and we're going to you know we're going to we're going to invest in infrastructure, and this will have this Keynesian short term stimulus. Uh, well, if you're not public on the, borrowing on the public dime, if you are uh, uh, using private capital, that is, it's less that's not a Keynesian stimulus. It may ha- it, you know it may lead to um, better and and more. Uh, infrastructure being put in place, and that may pay off in long-run productivity. But that's a very different argument. But to be fair to them and to, to give them their due, if you are subjecting it to these kind of market tests, if you are actually charging users to, to do it, you're much more likely to get investments that are actually going to pay dividends, both in the fiscal sense and in terms of, of, of improving uh, uh, the economy, than if it's all in political hands. We've seen countless times over the years how... Um, Politicians like to politic, you know. They like to, 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 to spend these things on things that look good or sound good or go through the right writings, et cetera. Um, so that shift away from conventional we'll borrow it all, we'll spend it all to private capital user pay was is all to the good, as I say, in principle. It's just how do you how you implement it that's key. Right. And, and I mean, to that end, do, do, we, do we even need this bank? If there's uh, uh, an economic case for a certain project where there is going to be return on investment, couldn't that funding be obtained uh, privately? Yeah, well, and, and, and most of the money will be private, So to be fair. To now, you know, do you need any agency within the government to kind of convene that private capital and solicit it? People have said, why don't they just use the existing, uh, I think there's something called Public-Private Partnerships Canada, and maybe that's a valid argument. But I think if you're going to have the government sort of commissioning this stuff, even if it's all, even if it were all private capital, if the government's going to be commissioning it, and if the point of this is to try to impress upon people that this is not going to be, you know, same old, same old, this is going to be insulated from political interference, then there's an argument to be made for setting it up as a crown corporation, even if it's all private money, but for setting up the commissioning agency as a crown corporation to, to give it that extra layer of, of insulation from, from political meddling. Uh, so I'm not opposed to, to, to that idea of setting it up, uh, say whether whether you need a, a new one or could just use the existing one, I don't know. But but I think it makes sense to set it up outside of, of uh, temptation, shall, shall we say. 
the way that we do with the Canada Pension Plan and with similar organizations where we know there's that potential. Anytime you've got a pot of money anywhere, public or private, there's going to be temptation that you want to kind of keep out of, out of people's way. Yes, indeed. Well, we'll see how this all plays out in the weeks ahead. More at nationalpost.com. Andrew, thanks for joining us here. Appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. All right. Andrew Coyne, uh, national columnist for Post Media. So his piece today, uh, looking at uh, some of the potential merits of this, says the infrastructure bank was a promising idea if only the liberals had stayed out of it. So there's, there's arguments on both sides of this. But as he points out, he says each project has its own unique risk. That risk should be reflected in the cost of capital. For wise to fund investment on the government tab merely because it has the lowest cost of borrowing, and it would be wise to fund all investments that way. But the government can't fund every investment. And so far as it chooses to fund some and not others, it is implicitly subsidizing the first at the expense of the second. So he says, I'm all for public-private partnerships. In other words, just leave the public out of them. Uh, yeah, that there is a risk that this kind of big pot of money could be politicized. And certain projects, certain kinds of projects, or the geographical location of a certain project might mean some get a, you know, get a better look than others. So yeah, there's definitely that concern. 403-974-8255 is our number. Uh, you can call us, text us, 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.